Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I did not take a big enough breath at the beginning of that sentence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Danielle. I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailtalk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, you can find me on the internet at Rose on Twitter, and I use they-them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books one at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we have another special guest, Will! Hi, I'm Will. I use the pronouns A-M, which work like they-them, but without the T-H. Uh... And you can find me on the podcast Hope's Hearth. Yeah. Which is on Twitter at Hope Hearth, Hope's Hearth Pod, I think. Yes. Cool. Cool. Uh, I forgot to write down book-specific content warnings. Um, I was definitely going to talk about those before we started, but I forgot. <laughs> we can always uh, cut them in at the end, Danielle. Once we've yeah. read through it, maybe make a note as we go and then you can drop them in. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. So today we're reading book seven, The Stranger. It is a Rachel narrated book. Um, our second Rachel narrated book now that we have started our second cycle of narrators. Um, and... I don't have anything to say before we get started. Does anyone else? Uh, go, on, go ahead, Jade. I was just going to say, uh, how did you come to be an Animorphs person? Are you like me, oh, a relative yeah. newbie, or are you sort of somebody that's been into the franchise for a while? Well, I read the books that I could find in the public library when I was the age they're aimed at, and also a little later. Um, I don't believe I've ever read the series back to front. And I'm sure I didn't read them in order. Uh, and I definitely read some of the um, the, the the side books, uh, thinking they were main series, and um, wondered where the heck David came from at one point. <laughs> we haven't gotten to David. No. So uh, I'm not a newbie. But I've forgotten a lot, and I didn't know everything to begin with. Mm. I'm definitely a fake fangirl, but that's just because I pass for a woman. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for appreciating that joke. <laughs> All right. Uh... Thank you, Jade, for remembering the whole bit that we're that we do at the beginning. <laughs> I'm That's I'm a mess fine. this morning. Um, <laughs> it's been a it's, very long. It's week. been a week. It has been a week. It's been a year this week. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry that it's also been a week in England, Jade. <laughs> mm. <sighs> World politics. Mm. It's a treat. Uh, we're recording this on November seventh. Yes. Yep. So, so for historical context, that's where we're at. <laughs> uh, you will not be there, and probably you'll be happy about it. Mm. Probably, yeah. Hopefully, uh, when you're listening to this, 
we will have turned the curve into a marginally better time. So, huzzah. here's hoping. Here's hoping. Well, let's let let's let's turn our attention to some teenagers who are arguably having a significantly worse time of things. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know, even know if it's arguably. Mm. <laughs> They're yeah. having a really bad time. They are they having really a really are bad having time. a bad time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, we cold open at the circus. Uh, because Rachel is here with her dad and her sisters, uh, and Cassie. Um, because, because Rachel and Cassie are best friends. Apparently. <laughs> um, it, it, it is one of the tragically underrepresented parts of these books where you're kind of like, are they friends? Sometimes it seems like they're friends. Um, and to be Rachel's, fair, that's kind of like what being a teenager is. Honestly, you're not wrong. It's true. Um, they're here because uh, Rachel goes on these what weekly, biweekly outings with her dad um, and her sisters. Uh, and her sisters really wanted to go to the circus. And Rachel didn't, so she brought Cassie so that they could at least talk while the circus was going on. Um, we get a bunch of exposition. You know the drill. Uh, and we, when, we, when we come into the novel, we are with Rachel and Cassie as they are sneaking around the backside of the main tent in order to... Fuck with someone. Fuck with someone. Uh, because apparently the elephant trainer was using cattle prods on the elephants during the circus. And this made Rachel very mad. Um, because Rachel has been an elephant. Because Rachel has been an elephant, yes. Um, we uh, we kind of get this in situ and then a little bit of a flashback into why we're here. Um, we learn that uh, Rachel's mom and dad are divorced, um, and so the her dad does outings. It is every other weekend um, to like bond with his daughters because his daughters all live with their mom. Um, and we learn that Rachel really loves spending time with her dad. Um, because she doesn't get to see him as often, and she looks up to him. He used to be an, a U.S. Olympic team gymnast, which I didn't remember at all. <laughs> Probably because Rachel's dad isn't that important a character, I guess. Yeah, he. spoiler alert, he doesn't get brought up much at all after this book. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's just like this throwaway, throwaway detail that puts a lot of context into why Rachel is so into gymnastics, but which I definitely never twigged on when I was reading this for the first time. Um, I, I love this little paragraph. Uh, everyone always says how much I'm like him, how he's kind of reckless, and so am I. He always seems so sure of himself, and I guess people think that I'm that way too. Um. And it it just it hurts 
this that this like very very kid thing even not kid mm. thing i have some feelings like this where it's just like wanting to impress a parent and mm. um wishing that you can tell them things that you can't um you know she she talks about you know she's never told her father about her second life he would worry about me and all but he would also think it was cool my dad is very big on standing up for what's right i think he would admire what i do that would be nice feeling like my dad admired me which whew, oof oh buddy oof <laughs> uh it's it's one of those things like and you see it a little with Drake and Tom, it's just like the yardstick that we're put against mm -hmm. becomes like the, we can't help but be as younger people especially but define ourselves by how we're perceived. Obviously mm -hmm. that that's part of the thing like you can see how it's been mechanized mechanized in a game like Masks. But because Rachel is like held up against her dad, and she's like, Oh, you're so like him. Oh, you're good at the things he does. Oh, you're like this. And because he's so important to her, wanting him to recognize that she's doing good, like it becomes, mm -hmm. it's, it's like how a lot of people, uh, it's not certainly a universal experience, but like you have your favorite parent, which, you know, we don't talk about, but you don't. It's like, but the people whose opinions matter more to us for whatever the reason might be, mm -hmm. they're, yeah, we, we put more weight in their opinion because they are more important to us. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and as we sort of learn more about, like, hearing about, like, what Rachel's dad does as we go on, um, why that might inform so much of her worldview, it's it's very interesting, and yeah. it's like, yeah, it's yeah, good um, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but here we are at the circus, um. And they're walking, they're avoiding the security guards. Uh, Rachel talks about how she doesn't care about the security guards because she's gone one-on-one -on -one with hork warriors. After you fought one of those seven-foot-tall walking razor blades, regular old humans don't scare you much. Um, Which is, you know, fair enough. Yeah, you know, uh, trauma. It does I, things. Yeah, I, I like that as a contrast to that run-in she had in her last book with the guy following her. Mm -hmm. and how that genuinely scared her and how she yeah. had that reaction but now like we're just a couple of books later and mm -hmm. enough has happened where she's like yeah no it's cool yeah and it does <laughs> I, it's not posturing yeah i don't think she genuinely has that now yeah i definitely could turn into an elephant and stop anyone stomp anyone flat like mm. yeah yeah um so they get to the elephants um it I said it was like vaguely racist. It's 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 racist. Ra it's racist. It's gross. Cause they're like the elephant's trainer's name was Joseph something. Something hard to pronounce. And it's like oh, come on, Ugh. guys. Do we have to do that? Can we, can we, the yeah. yeah, especially as this the interaction goes on and yeah. it's one it is aggressive. And yes, this is Rachel, but also and um, the fact that, yes, this dude is, is in the wrong, but also, like, your brain can't shift. Okay, so this is a blonde white girl talking yeah. about somebody whose name she's mm -hmm. forgotten or can't pronounce. And yeah. it's a overt show of power. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. gross. It's one of those mm-hmm. things where you can't just put in characters who aren't white willy-nilly um, mm-hmm. because there are implications behind the choices that you make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a very privileged decision to have made mm-hmm. um, to just not think about it. Yeah. Um, we have this back and forth between uh, Cassie and Rachel as b- just before this happens. Cassie being the voice of reason um, isn't trying super hard to be the voice of reason because yeah, obviously yeah. the way Cassie feels about animals, knowing her mm-hmm. motivations, of course she's going to the person who would back Rachel up over this. I do like that she cites Jake and mm-hmm. just like, you know Jake's going to read you the riot act over this and Rachel just laughs. It's just like, you sound like my mum. What does it even mean? <laughs> and then Cassie's like, I don't know, it's something my dad says. Um, <laughs> and uh, we just like, and Cassie's like, why did you talk me, why did I let you talk me into this? Because you know I'm right. And Cassie just rolls her eyes He's just like, just don't hurt the guy. Me, Miss Peace, Love and Understanding. It's like, mm hmm. <laughs> that, that's fun to read again, having read this book. Just like, hmm. Oh, this yep. book goes to some places. Um, yeah. And then we get this detail that really sets up the kind of crux of the conflict that Rachel's having here. Um, because she says, he. Just better not show up carrying that cattle prod, or I swear I'll... I noticed Cassie had stopped walking. She was giving me her sorrowful look, like she was ashamed of me. I cringed. And Rachel backs off, and she's like, okay, I'm just going to talk to him. Uh, Don't give me that look. Um, And it's really brief and kind of brushed off, but I think it really Mm -hmm. speaks to this idea of Rachel going... Uh, out of her way to protect people in a violent way uh, mm-hmm. and and the people around her being really disapproving of it yeah it's um it's that that problem that soldiers have when they mm-hmm. come back mm. mm-hmm. there, there's something to be said that now that this trauma has happened and we're so not far into the series um but it's like, and I, I, I don't mean to make light of it when I say this, but Rachel's now been given permission mm-hmm. to feel that angry. Yeah. Like, imagine being told as a teenager, you can be as angry as you want because you have a put thing that you can point at it and you will be in the right. Yeah. Oh. Like, that, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Like, I, I, was, I was actually reading something today about the way women aren't allowed to be angry because mm-hmm. society demands that they not be. And talking about how that and how it's become theorized that that's why women suffer a lot from chronic pain and digestion problems and things like depression and anxiety are manifestations of rage that they are not allowed to express. Mm. And how it turns inward on the body because there's nowhere for it to go. That's, uh, mm. Mm, right? Uh, yeah. Un- unfortunately, believable. I yeah. Say. But like now, and so Rachel now has won a cause. And two, a means to be powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't instinctively blame her for going, okay, I'm going to take the most violent option. Yeah. Because she feels righteous in it. And, and she righteousness wants to protect is protect people. Yeah. It's not an unadmirable thing, but it is a dangerous thing. 
Yeah. And so she has other people to bring her back, but she can reach for the furthest point Mm -hmm. and be told to come back from the edge in the same way that, and that's what she does. And that's Mm -hmm. what the others can pull her back from. Just like Jake can make the calls, but other people can help him moralize. Mm -hmm. Marco can have the horrifying idea. Jake's the one that will make it happen. Mm -hmm. They're a team. They are each other's safety measures, though, as well. Like, we talk about the balance in this group and how they're all very good at their one thing. Mm -hmm. But I like how we see they temper each other. Because if one of them wasn't there, like, we see Rachel's observations of the group as we go on. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how these things become like a, a small example of the macro themes of the book. It's like how much these kids need each other. Mm-hmm. Because they keep each other in balance. Mm-hmm. Because even if one of them is gone, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Rachel gets in the elephant pen and turns into an elephant. Oh, before actually, I just want to say, as we get into Rachel Morphing here, seeing the cover of this book, and I enjoy how spoilery the front covers of these books are. Because I'm like, ah. <laughs> oh, this is where Rachel gets the bear. I have heard about Rachel and the bear morph. <laughs> so it, it's kind of, and I was just like, oh, shit's going to get real. Um, so that, that, that was nice to see as I just like opened the dock, just like, ah, the bear, the bear is here. <laughs> so it, it, it was just very fun. And just like, it, we'll get into that more as, as, as that part of the story occurs. But it was nice just to see that and have, like, have an immediate idea of what might be happening. Mm-hmm. So... But, yes. but she's not being the bear in this scene. She's being no. an elephant. Yep. Yeah, she may be gen- elephants, may be gentle, but they are big. Because uh, mm-hmm. she tries very hard to not startle the elephants that are already there. Talks about mm-hmm. them being, um, I like that we get the difference acknowledged between the different kinds of elephants, which is very cool and well observed. Mm-hmm. And I do like how we have that moment of reflection as she's morphing about and having I appreciate that the trunk erupts and Cassie just says, Pinocchio, eat your heart out. And I'm just there, just like, <laughs> I really like when the kids like gently mock each other or like are playful about this genuinely horrifying thing they do. Mm-hmm. And of course, that becomes what saying, just like, oh, look how normalized it's become. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. No. Why are they making jokes about this horrible thing? So, you know, <laughs> trauma, child yeah. soldiers, here we are. Um, Rachel gets big, uh, super big. Uh, she's very happy about it. There's lots of trumpeting, and Cassie's like, "You could have warned me you were going to do that." I nearly wet myself, and I appreciate the banter between the. T- There's a lot of winking between the two mm-hmm. of them, and I know we were talking earlier about how, for all that they're meant to be best friends, we don't really see. I like in this book, mm-hmm. there are clearly nods to it, and it's a shame that it's not more of it because, like, when we have Marco yeah. and Jake, we get to spend time with it. Yeah, with Cassie and Rachel, it's just sort of it's there and it's hinted at, but it's never given the on-screen weight. Mm-hmm. But I like that there's the shorthand there of two people that don't need words to communicate. Yeah, it's lazy, but from a characterization point of view, I can at least admire it for that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the loud noise calls the trainer. She grabs the trainer in her trunk and picks him up. It's very Dumbo's uh, mum. Yeah. Um, and basically threatens him in thought speak. Uh, says she's the international elephant police. 
<laughs> in just in just the great. least believable way po- possible. Um, That's such a thirteen-year-old thing to come up with. I gotta it say, is. yeah. Um, and Qu- go. Clearly, there are international <laughs> elephant police. You will definitely believe this. <laughs> Much like the vegan police in Scott Pilgrim, that is a thing. Of course, they're a thing. Why wouldn't they be a thing? <laughs> they're here yeah. now. Uh, um, and I, I like that there's this bit of and like she is trying to play nice at first. The uh, the trainer's trying to rationalize it first that he's hearing a voice, and then just like immediately goes just like, "Why am there the elephants on my property?" And that's when Rachel starts to threaten this mm-hmm. guy uh, by holding him over. Um, one of the t- one of her tusks. Mm-hmm. We actually have like, like a worm about to be placed on a fishing hook. Yep. Oof. Yeah. And this would all mm-hmm. be way better if it were just a white man. Yeah. The yeah. fact that it's then with one twitch of my trunk, I can make you a shish kebab as well. Uh, yeah. This is like ugh, bad. Worm it. on a hook. Yeah. Stick with mm. worm on a hook. Yeah. That was a good metaphor. I mean, I do like the line that comes up about I will squeeze you till you pop like an overcooked hot dog. That yeah. <laughs> colourful, mm-hmm. to the point, doesn't feel Not like racist. any kind of loaded with any kind of racist qualities. Mm-hmm. So, and then this calls, Joseph, can you fly? What can I fly? No, of course not. I bet you can. And she just throws him. Yep. Like 20 feet away. He lands on top of a tent, so he's fine. But just flings a man. <laughs> and Cassie's like, now can we go home? <laughs> and we that cut to... Hard cut. <laughs> you <laughs> threw a guy into the air, Jake asked. Wasn't that maybe just a little unnecessary? To which Rachel's like, no, he made me <laughs> mad. And isn't there just a character statement there? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Again, righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Jake is basically giving her a hard time. Um, and we learn that, uh, they didn't, Cassie and Rachel didn't tell Jake that Cassie had been there because they didn't want Jake to be disapproved of Cassie. Um, I like how it's just like, we didn't tell that. Cassie and Jake like each other. She didn't want him to be mad at her. With me, it's a different story. Everyone knows I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Yeah. Oh, it's like being being expected to be the voice of reason with your peers mm. kind of sucks. Mm. That's an unfair weight to put on a person. Yeah. It's, so I, mm. um, it's like how Jake's the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake's the leader, Cassie's the morals, and neither of them gets to, you know, stop. Because mm-hmm. if they stop, the whole thing falls apart. It comes back to what we were just saying before, the burden of responsibility, the burden of morality. Yeah. With Ra- Rachel, it's the burden of violence. Mm-hmm. She is the one that will do the violent thing. Tobias like, is stuck being the observer. And none Marco of them understands them. They don't, because they can't. Mm-hmm. And they maybe have these little moments of reprieve where, but it's like, it's not really a true reprieve. It's just you don't have to deal with this right now. Yeah. 
And so I'm like, Cassie just like not telling Jake doesn't change the fact that she did the thing. Yeah. The same way that Jake offering Cassie the opportunity to make the decision doesn't change the fact that he would make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Marco uh, grumbles that like, hey, we have better things to use our power for. We can't turn into the Animorph Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which is a clever way to use that acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rachel notices how serious Marco is um, or how Marco is being. Um, and, you know, talks about how he's kind of changed a little bit. He's not resisting being an anamorph anymore. Um, she's not sure why, but she's noticed it. Um, and we, we, we get the, the bit about how Marco makes fun of Rachel for, um, and calls her Xena warrior princess. Um, and she and her her thought process is, but I'm not one of those morons who is just into danger for its own sake. It's not about cheap thrills. It's about feeling like I am involved in something very important. I mean, let's face it, as corny as it sounds, we are trying to help save the world. Yep. Righteousness. Yep. It's a hell of a drug. Mm-hmm. I'm having feels about uh, Ariel, by the way, which is a common occurrence when we're looking at Rachel, but I'm having <laughs> feels about Ariel. Yep. <sighs> but we have our intro to the characters at this point. Uh-huh. Um, get sort of Rachel's take on the group that we've heard before. We get some uh, good interaction. Also, I like getting Rachel's take on things. Given mm-hmm. how abruptly and succinctly she just she gives the sum up at the start about the Yerks. Mm-hmm. The fact that we get that Jake's in charge, it's not something he asked for, he's just that he's good at dealing with the responsibility. And then we hear about Marco. And how his suspicious nature makes him very good at seeing beneath the surface of things. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. She she gets it and she appreciates them, even mm-hmm. as they're like, you know, mm-hmm. her friends and also frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get a window into her perspective on Cassie and her empathy. And then we get the moment where it's just like, yes, <laughs> Rachel, we see how you feel about Tobias. Thank you for <laughs> describing dreamy eyes again. That's <laughs> good. Um, but I do like the the take on Tobias as was, which is a good reminder of, of like the person, and then like the comparison to how he is now as the mm-hmm. red-tailed hawk. Yeah, and I like that we have the one. I still see him as sweet, gentle Tobias, but he's been a hawk for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that acknowledgement of change. Um, but yeah, the kids are walking through the forest because Marco doesn't want to have to explain the whole business to Axe, uh, despite the fact that Jake's like, well, you've never had a problem telling a story more than once before. Like, you'll tell me the same joke 80 times. Just like, you should laugh the first time then, shouldn't you? Which is just like some choice characterization, I approve. But uh, we get one of the better descriptions of Axe, I feel, yeah. in this book. Or like where they're settling into what Axe looks like or and lights mm-hmm. look like. Yeah, uh, an odd cross of a human, a deer, and a scorpion, but not really like any of those things. <laughs> His upper body and head are more or less the human-looking parts. He has thin arms and many-fingered hands. His face is flat with slits for a nose and two large almond eyes. He has no mouth at all, which is why thought speak is the natural language of Andalites. 
From atop his head rise two stalks, each with an eye on the end. He can turn these eyes in any direction he wants. They're completely independent of his main eyes. His body is that of a pale blue and tan deer, or a thin pony. He has four legs that end in hooves, but his back slopes down so that you would never be tempted to think of riding him. And he has a tail. Which is a, a nice... Long, thick... it, <laughs> it was a nice a, what? It's nice to specify that this is not a rideable person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a long, thick, powerful tail that ends in a deadly scythe-shaped blade. Um, which is which is where we get the slight distance from this is like a scorpion tail to this is more of like a whip-like scythe blade type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we get uh, uh, on the greeting Axe, we find out that Axe got to go play with some cougars. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the mountain lion kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I, I really appreciate um, that Rachel checks that he's okay uh-huh. uh, and, and then clarifies to Cassie, I did not hurt the cougar, not fatally anyway, but he won't try to eat me again. <laughs> Which is very nice. Yeah. And Marco repeats his bit about Axe and Rachel being made for each other. Um, uh-huh. And I like that uh, we have Rachel squirm a little at that. Uh, not because I minded Marco thinking I was bold, but because I really was not interested in Axe that way. You're just like, yeah, we know who you're interested in, Rachel. It's fine. <laughs> and he's not blue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, uh, and then, so once they're all gathered, um, Jake prompts Marco to like, okay, so why are we here? And Marco's just like, actually, Tobias and I have news. Um, I just, and Rachel looks at Tobias and who shows no expression because he's a hawk. <laughs> so he just... <laughs> Um, and being Marco about it, he tries to get uh puts puts a little spin on it, and Rachel just like tells him to cut to the shit. Yeah, and he reveals that he and Tobias have found a new way into the Yerk Pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also mm-hmm, go on well. They didn't tell the others. Um, yeah. no. And Jake but, has a response to that. Yeah, he's, he's like, pissed. Why didn't, te- why didn't you tell me? Yeah, Rachel is pissed because she didn't get to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we get the, re- and Jake looks as annoyed as Rachel says she feels. And mm-hmm. like, obviously, because he believes he- the burden of responsibility is on himself. Mm-hmm. But Rachel realizes that, of course, Marco kept it quiet because Jake has like just gone through the business of being yerked. And that's, that's a, um, great example of the the jake and marco relationship Mm -hmm. and also sort of the way marco deals with things he doesn't Mm -hmm. come out and say i'm worried about you bro uh let me take care of things for a bit he just does it Mm -hmm. and and like that puts me in mind of his relationship with his dad which is Mm-hmm. Not good. And like, Marco was well, already taking on more mm-hmm. responsibility than is developmentally appropriate for his age mm-hmm. before he got dumped into a war. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we if we want to be upsetting about it, and when don't we? This is animals. <laughs> We're here to be upset about it. Um, Marco won't let people ask him because he knows people won't ask him. So he'll do it without being asked. Mm-hmm. He takes the onus of the choice onto himself. Yeah. Which is deeply upsetting, like you said, a far like develop what's developmentally appropriate for a 13-year-old. 
which is, is true of all of them in one degree or another. But yep. uh, it's it's a really interesting way to see just a, such a small touch how they look after each other and also the upsetting implications behind the way they look after each other. Mm-hmm. And Rachel so. appreciates that Marco did this and like asks her next question a little more patiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoy the, the push and pull between Rachel and Marco. I can't mm-hmm. remember if we said before, like, if they were older characters and this was a different kind of show or book, they would be a ship. They would be the couple that people were trying to put together because some people really mm-hmm. like bickering guy and girl. Mm-hmm. I swear yeah. much to about nothing. I love you, but you have a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> Most <sighs> people can't do it as well as yeah. Shakespeare is the problem. They earned um, that shit. Anyway. They worked but, really hard for it. I... I'm a big fan of like male female friendship. Mm-hmm. And I like that kind of interplay between the two of them. Because it's like yeah. the way they operate on each other's level. And we've seen that from both of them in their different respective narratives and uh, narrations. Mm-hmm. So and it's good. Yeah. If they got to grow up to be normalish adults, they'd be like uncle and aunt to each other's children if they had them. Mm. Like mm-hmm. They could be eternal siblings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a note here about just the writing in these first few chapters. It's mm. not great. It's not great. Um, it is repetitive and kind of forced in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the... Like the characterization of Axe in these couple of chapters is stilted a bit. Um, but I feel like once this book hits its stride, um, mm. like one, once we get to kind of uh, Rachel's crisis with her dad mm. in a couple of chapters, like I feel like we, it, it tightens up a lot. Yeah. These first few chapters are rough. Yeah, there's um, a lot of. Dry exposition that Axe is forced to do about Candrona's mm-hmm. and things like because that's what's revealed. Um, yeah, uh, like we we get some more details on the Yerk pool um, and the um, what they could do to take out the the pool, um, and they come to the conclusion that there must be um, they need to find out where the Candrona that is in the pool because if they manage to take out that one then the X will have to go up to the mothership mm-hmm. in order to uh, recharge right yep. um, but yeah Axe tells us that the Candrona doesn't have to be in the York pool it might be somewhere else and um, so they all basically are like alright well we need to figure out where the Candrona is and Rachel says well what if we spied in the Yerk pool to figure out where the Candrona is. And Markle's like, ah, that's more like the Rachel I know. You were starting to worry me there. You were sounding so sensible. <laughs> <sighs> um, but, uh, they they end up deciding this is what they're going to do. Cause, um, but I do like that we have this touch that they're all having nightmares. Yeah. About the Yerk pool and about other things. Yeah. And we have that line... Um, 
of Rachel to Axe. I don't know if you Andalites believe in places like heaven and hell, but let me just tell you, the Yerk Pool is definitely not heaven. Mm -hmm. Just pretty darn witty. But also, wee! (laughs) I really appreciate, (laughs) I say really appreciate, it's a nice pointless reference to say to somebody from another planet who has no concept of probably our religions on this planet, but you know, it's a very specific religion at that. Um, but mm-hmm. I still like the moment and I like the, the spin and what it says about Rachel that that's the reference she pulls. Mm-hmm. So. And the way she pulls well, it. Mm. Honestly, that's really weird now that I think about it. Because Rachel's Jewish. <laughs> Fucked up. Where's that? Where's our, is it Kusu? Kasu? Yeah, Kasu's. Yeah. Ka- yeah. K-A fucks, uh, screwed up. Should be Kafu, mm-hmm. really. More like Snafu. Oh, I like that. Kafu. Uh, um, Bit of a Kafu. Yeah. Um. But I feel like I agreed, and it's bad. But also that I think that just goes to underscore the culturally Christian mm-hmm. thing vibe, which is true of I think in like the States and in the UK as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's big, like Christmas holidays, everybody does. Easter, da 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 da. Like, not everybody celebrates those. Yeah, but it's a national holiday anyway. Bye. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Hmm. Uh, then uh, we cut to Rachel getting home and asking her mom about dinner. Um, I love uh, that she. Uh, Spots that her mum is dressed up and nervous immediately. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's a nod to Doritos is very good. For dumb <laughs> kids' reasons. Um, <laughs> it's Doritos. Listen, and, Doritos uh, are good. I'm not saying Doritos ain't good. I'm just saying, as a running gag, it's great. Also, Doritos, if you want, <laughs> if you're interested in a sponsorship deal with very small time <laughs> podcasts, mm-hmm. hit us up. <laughs> but uh we get the the reveal that um Rachel's dad is coming to dinner and that's fucking weird because he never comes to dinner. They since go to the him. Divorce. Yeah. Since the divorce. Mm-hmm. But um and we hear like his dad's like I guess he what he says he's got something to tell you. He was supposed to tell you the other night at the circus. I guess he forgot, which she clearly thinks is bullshit. And mm-hmm. Rachel picks up on the tone that her mum clearly thinks it's bullshit. Yep. <laughs> He chickened um, out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then the dad arrives. We have the uh, the younger sisters, Sarah running, Jordan yelling at her, stop, sounding like their mom. Mm-hmm. Just good shit. I like that, again, Jordan picks up on that there's something weird going on because mm-hmm. uh, Jordan is the one who spoke to Ariel after her nightmare. Right. So, because Jordan <laughs> is old enough to realize something was up. You just called Rachel Ariel. Did I? Well, there we go. We'll start at, right. I'll add this to the drinking game rules. Jade calls Rachel Ariel. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm adding it. It's in. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, uh, Jordan's old enough to realize something's up um, and and looks to Rachel to be like, hey, do you know what the fuck is up? Um, and dad comes in, he's being too cheerful, like, hey, I have all this food, let's eat this food, it'll be great. Here's all the tasty food I have. Yeah. 
Um, it, this is totally out- normal and not at all yeah. worrying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like we get this nice, the, uh, Rachel Stout is a reporter, the local mm-hmm. TV channel, does investigative journalism and anchors like the news at the weekend. So he always has nice clothes and has great hair. And, uh, but I love that that follows after the being too cheerful as well. Mm-hmm. Just like he's a performer. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Uh, constant performer. But, uh, we start, we find out Rachel's mom's name, uh, which is yeah. always nice. It's Naomi. And her mm-hmm. dad is Dan. Um, I love how we have this exchange of hello, Dan, my mother said, coming into the room with plates and silverware. Naomi, he answered, how have you been? By now, even Sarah had figured out this was not going to be a happy evening. <laughs> oh, oh, buddy. <laughs> and uh, they have dinner and it, they, well, they eat a little bit and there's small talk and it's tense. And then Naomi's just like, just get it over and done with. Please um, say the thing. Yeah. Uh, dad is embarrassed um, because he recognizes that he's kind of been caught uh, making uh, stretching things out for too long Um, and basically he uh, says that he's been offered a new job uh, where he would be anchoring like the important news at 6 and 11 o'clock and he would get to do specials, and it'd be really cool. Uh, and Jordan and Rachel share a look because it sounds like good loot, good news, and they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, and it's and, far away, <laughs> and it's far away. Not just in another town or in another apartment. It's uh, on the other side of the country, um, a thousand miles away. He's moving to New York. Is the mm-hmm. vibe I'm getting here? Yeah. And being from New York, I get the vibe that he's moving to California. <laughs> mm. Or he could be moving to LA, to be fair, given. Yeah. But somewhere like a media hub. So it's mm-hmm. either New York or LA, isn't it? Those are just the big two mm-hmm. in terms of the media, at least. Yeah. There are five cities in the US. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get this bit from Rachel. You know, it's funny how the mind works. See, I've been through more bad things, more terror, more worry, more pain since I became an anamorph than more, most people deal with in a lifetime. I would have thought I could handle something like my dad moving away, a thousand miles away. And uh, she does the thing where she's like, congratulations, it's what you always wanted. Uh, trying very hard not to show that how upset she is. Um, and... Her dad is just a fucking dingus and is like, it's not like I won't see you. I know it sounds like a long way, but that's why we have jets, right? And she's just like, yeah, that's why we have jets. And she excuses herself and goes up to her door, uh, to her room. Um, I didn't slam any doors. I didn't throw anything. I just left. Let him feel what it's like, I told myself. Let him feel what it's like to have someone just walk away. Uh, I went up to my room and locked the door behind me. I couldn't breathe. I kept clenching my fists and wanting to pound something. I think I would have cried, but I was just too angry. Uh, and her dad follows her up um, because, uh, I mean, of course he does. Um, and she's like, I couldn't say no to to letting him in because uh, it would have sounded like she was upset. And she's trying to not show that she's upset. Oh, hello. Hello, 
Rachel, keeping your feelings to yourself and not uh-huh. letting other people experience them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, uh-huh. I'm staring at Mac like they're the camera on the office right now. <laughs> uh, they know what they did. Yep. Uh, and her dad tells her that uh, there's something else that he has to tell her. Um, Jordan and Sarah are too young, but uh, your mom said that you're old enough to make your own decision. Um, so like, what if you moved with me? And oh, by the way, I have this in with this really, uh, like important gymnastics teacher and we could, you know, I could get you a really, really good trainer and you could be really good in gymnastics and you could come live with me in the big city. Um, and Rachel says, I'm too tall to be good at gymnastics, which is just like, uh, <laughs> fuck, um, professional sports, uh, boy, um, yep. bodies. Yep. Um, and, you know, her, her dad's like, you have the talent. I know you can do this. You can go places in gymnastics. Um. And Rachel's still just very confused because she's like, like, why are you talking about getting me a trainer? Are you asking me to move with you? And he's like, yes, um, uh, I would have a lot of money. You could fly back here anytime you wanted every week if you wanted. And like. Uh, Rachel, Rachel just can't process this. Um, mm-hmm. She thinks like it sounds ridiculous. She she can't focus on anything that is like anything that he's saying her thoughts are everywhere because not only is like she having to think about leaving her mom and leaving her sisters and leaving everything she knows but also there that there's this war going on that she can't tell um, her family about right mm-hmm. and i, and I like that she has this moment of like okay she thinks it's first because it's her dad feels guilty about leaving and then as he goes uh, that it's pity that he feels sorry for her and then as it goes on she realizes oh no he's going to be lonely yeah and he wants company yep which just again speaks to her awareness even through her own confusion mm-hmm. that she's sort of putting two and two together yeah and, you know, it, it would be really hard on Rachel to be, um, to, to be his company is, mm-hmm. is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he tells her not to decide now, you know, you can, you can decide later. Just, just think about like, I've missed you. We can spend all of this time together um and uh we get from rachel i wanted to say dad you don't understand it isn't just about mom and sarah and jordan i have a date dad to go back to the york pool my friends are counting on me see i'm supposed to be xena warrior princess i'm supposed to go back down there down into the last place on earth i want to go um and like uh, I don't, I don't have words for just the enormity of the, the decision that her dad doesn't even realize he's asking of her right now, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. for what amounts to be 
honestly kind of a selfish reason of just like, hey, I want to spend time with you and I want you, I want you and I to be together again. And I don't want to be alone in this new city. And maybe a bit of, and I wish that I could still be a gymnast and I'm, and am living out that dream through you, Mm -hmm. which is. mm. See, I kind of like that there is what he's asking for. Yes, she's being, she's not like, we want you to make this choice, but I think it's actually a very reasonable thing that he's asking. He just doesn't know the level of stakes she has going Mm. on. Yeah. Like a parent wanting to spend time with their child, regardless of like, my kid is into the same things I'm into. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, you find out, I don't, yeah, we could, there's a bit later on where we talk about how um, uh, when one of the other girls were born and um, Naomi saying, oh, sorry, uh, not a boy. Uh, it's not a boy. She's like, I don't need a boy. I have Rachel. Mm-hmm. And Which just is- like, he clearly loves his daughter. Yeah. Very much. And <sighs> she knows that. And the fact that it's him saying that he loves her is what makes her cry. Yeah. That's like the damn bursting because I think it's that she knows he, it's not just he's acting selfishly. He does love her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's too much. And it's <laughs> it sucks. Mm-hmm. And then we have we have this line about Rachel's thoughts like how how could he expect me to make the decision I couldn't leave my friends Mm -hmm. and they're counting on her to be brave and strong Mm -hmm. and it's it hurts it's gosh and like I never had to to move as a kid but if I I I feel like this would have been a really sort of um if if I if I had this book would have you know made it seem like the the weight it it seems to feel like to people like yeah it doesn't make this a small thing next to her big yeah. problems this yeah. is a big problem mm-hmm. yeah um. And, you know, Rachel talks to her mom and her mom's just like, well, I want you to stay, but it's up to you. You know, you you can think this through on your own, which is not the answer that Rachel's looking for, because, you know, now now it's the choice. I could hurt my mom and my sisters or I could hurt my dad. Um, Isn't divorce fun? Yeah. (sighs) And that's Um, that's another thing that Applegate isn't making look small next to next to mm-hmm. the war yeah mm. um rachel can't sleep uh because she like there's there's too many things to think about um and she feels like she's being boxed in um and basically she gets out of bed morphs into an eagle and flies into the night or actually she morphs into an owl um mm. and flies into the night um because most of the animorphs got owl morphs uh for helping keep Jake trapped um mm-hmm. while the yerk starved uh, um, yeah yeah and so she tries to fly away from her problems um, i mean i would if i could 
Yep. Uh, yep. Mid-30s, just like, you mean I could turn into a bird and just fly away? Yes. Yes, please. I, I, w- I would very much like to do this. Yep. But we have, and um, I mentioned this later, but I like the, as well as like the freedom of flying, it's like sinking into a headspace that's simpler than her own. Mm-hmm. Like, would like to do does. that too. Mm-hmm. But she can't escape her thoughts. Yep. Yep. Um, and we have sort of this reflection of talking about being the owl. And like, I like that we have this focusing on the owl's experiences and then. But she can't um, shake it. Like we have the moment. Um, I kind of like that. There's this nod to Tobias because uh, mm-hmm. she he hasn't got a choice about being a predator, but she does. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately about what this book is all about is about Rachel's choices. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit of an exploration of her a uh, bit more about her relationship with her dad how she's got a photo of the two of them when she's like three years old on the balance beam mm-hmm. on her desk and yeah and we get back to some of this anger from rachel that we see a lot which is like how could he expect me to make this decision i yeah. couldn't leave my friends i couldn't they were counting on me we were going back to the yerk pool and they were counting on me to be brave and strong that's what they thought i was but if I was so brave and so strong, why was I suddenly imagining a very different life, a long, long way away from the war with the Yerks? Why was I imagining a life of gymnastics classes and ball games with my dad, a place where I was just a person, when no one expected me to go back down into that hell of screams and despair called the Yerk Pool? If I was so brave and tough, why was I imagining a normal life? Oh, buddy. Yeah. And I I just can't one, we have her rage at her dad for making her make that choice. Mm-hmm. And although she doesn't blame her friends for relying on her to be brave and strong, it's also there. Mm-hmm. Like they need me to be this. They expect me to be this. Because that's who they think she is, because that's what she's put out to them. Yeah. And so they now expect it of her. Yeah. But she's a 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And but at the moment, all she is right now is she's feeling guilty for thinking about a different life. Yeah. She's giving herself a hard time <clears throat> for thinking about what it might be like to not have to do this. And that's so upsetting. Yeah. I mean, I I I mean, I get demonizing your own thoughts. I do it all the time, but like I'm an I'm I'm a neurodivergent adult with brain chemistry issues um it's real upsetting to see somebody so young punishing themselves like that even if it is just in the privacy of her own head Mm -hmm. which just makes anger's easy Mm -hmm. it's real easy to lose yourself in anger anger is simple yeah and once you've just let you don't even have to make a choice to be angry you sort of just stop yourself stop being angry yeah you stop trying mm-hmm. and that's kind of you make the choice to let yourself be angry if anything mm-hmm. oh, oh that's my secret i'm always angry mm-hmm. and i think rachel always is yeah 
because it's a desperately unfair situation that she was already in that's just been made more unfair. Mm-hmm. Yup. And also, she's a teenage girl. Society hates teenage girls. Yep. Just... It demonizes everything they like, everything they want to be, everything they want to do, and then expects them to be perfect. Yep. Fucking sucks. Yup. I hate it. I hate it for them. Yeah. And I still am terrified by teenage girls and feel bad about it because I once had to go to school with teenage girls and they scared the crap out of me. <laughs> so, you know, trauma. I'm doing jazz hands. Hope you can hear the jazz hands. <laughs> but so we have Rachel big on introspection. So where does she go? She seems to go to see Tobias. The yep. most introspective person she knows. Uh, almost giving him a heart attack in the process. Because but uh, owls are very quiet and hawks don't have good night vision, as we've heard. Yeah. We we, and, we heard in the last book how Tobias has told Jake, and therefore he must have told Rachel, that like he's terrified of owls and watches them hunt at night because, you know, they're these terrifying predators. Um, and they can kill falcons and they will kill falcons. And mm-hmm. like Rachel comes at him. Rachel yeah, she, comes at him in in uh, like she's flaring to land, but it's like, <laughs> and he's just like ah, it explains just like you're an owl zooming in attack mode. Don't do yeah. that stuff, kind. Don't do that kind of stuff. And I like that we get it. It's more like she hasn't got that awareness that yeah. he does yet, and he sort of reminds her of that. But also like. I think in a di- if she was in a different headspace, she wouldn't have done it that way because she is aware most of mm-hmm. the time. So, which must have made it extra scary because mm. that's probably not Rachel. Yeah, yeah. And I like that she the the apology is genuine, and yeah. she explains that she's. I, I like that she's like I, I forgot that your life could be so down. And Tobias, as he so often is wont to do, eh, plays it off as a joke. Has advantages, no more first period gym class. Um, and like asks her why she's out there. Yeah. And he immediately asks why when she says she had to get out of the house and then ca- does the caveat, unless it's none of my business. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah. And Rachel's just like, I don't know, nothing, nothing, nothing. I was just hyper. And Tobias doesn't immediately call her on her bullshit, even though she knows that it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I made the note, like, as it goes on, like, she's being really cagey. And Tobias pays attention. That's what he does. But he also knows Rachel. Yeah. Um, And, again, I like the way that all of them are good at noticing stuff about each other and the world. But the way in which it's framed, the lens of how they notice things about each other, whether we see it from the narrator's perspective or the fact that they've been caught out by one of their friends and sussed mm-hmm. out. I like how, again, and it underscores how different they all are from each other, the different roles they have to play and how much they need each other. Um, She doesn't want to tell him what's wrong because, um, and and says, like, I guess I wanted to tell him what's wrong or else why would I have come all the way the fuck out here? Um, But it seemed ridiculous to lay my problems on him. Um, And so she deflects and says she's just thinking about the yerk pool again. He teases her about being worried, and she gets defensive. Says she's thinking about flying out to the gardens and getting something 
uh, with more firepower, um, and asks Tobias to fly with her. Um, and, like, Tobias, Tobias says, Rachel, you know I don't fly much at night. I can't see that well in the dark. Plus, there aren't any thermals, and I, oh, I can't just soar. Like, that's a, that's a far way to fly. Um, and, like, like, what's going on? What's really going on here? Um, which is, is weird to me, because I'm definitely the kind of person who's like, okay, something's clearly up. I don't want you to go there alone. Sure, I'll not sleep and fly with you. Um, this this adds credence to my uh, autistic Tobias mm, yeah. pedestal. Mm. Just like that's the very much like these are the facts. No, I can't. You know, yeah. I would, but I can't. And he's not giving the emotional explanation. He's giving her the facts because yeah. that's what he's using in that moment. And he's just like, I have an idea. Why don't you tell me what's really bothering you? Yeah. Because he's just like, this isn't about that. So why are you asking me to do a thing you know I can't do? Why don't we just talk about the thing that you actually want to talk to me about? Yeah. And she apologizes again for scaring him, so she's going to go home. And he underscores that she can talk to him. And then Rachel, bless her heart. Yeah, look, I have a question for you. Do you ever think about years from now, like when it's time for college and stuff? As soon as the words were out of my head, I wished I could call them back. But Tobias was cool. He just laughed silently. Yeah, I'm thinking I could easy get, get easy A's in ornithology, the study of birds. <laughs> and she sort of like runs with his joke for a second, says he could be the professor. And it's just like... Mm -hmm. I just meant that sooner or later, most of us are going to leave, move somewhere else. What do we do then if the Yerks are still around? It's just like, we know, we obviously, we have the only knowing why she's asking this question. And I appreciate that Tobias is then just like, print these feathers. It's just a thing he has to do, but it's also a habit he has when he's bothered by something. Yes, stimming is good, actually. <laughs> um, stimming is good. Stimming is great. Um, but I like the real the reality check that Tobias has here for Rachel. I haven't really looked that far ahead, <coughs> but I guess I figured this whole thing would sort itself out one way or the other long before then. The Yerks win, and you don't have to worry about college, or they lose, and we each go back to our normal lives. Some of us more normal than others. Oh boy! <sighs> and then Rachel starts busy. And she says, I was too busy hating myself for bringing this up for Tobias. Tobias, of all people. He was already a casualty in this war. What a fucking phrase for a 13-year-old to use. <sighs> for another 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then it's that she's hating herself. She realizes what Tobias would have said. And here I was thinking of leaving. What's the matter with me? I couldn't leave. Leave Tobias living in the forest. Leave my best friend Cassie to fight, maybe to die so I could cut and run. Leave Jake and Marco and Axe. Why? Because my dad was lonely and I could take gymnastics classes. And like Tobias is like, are you okay? And, and she lies and says she's fine. Yeah. And, then and then I said I was fine, you know, like a liar. Yeah. Me, of course. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that it's underscored and tech completely. Like, I lied. Um, I'm playing it off. And um, 
And she just leans into that, I'm going to be, I'm the fighter, I'm all gun ho persona, in the same way that they all will lean into their personas when they need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tobias like comments that he'll be leaving the ba- sitting the battle out, and <laughs> Rachel says she'll bag a hawk bajir for him. Aww, that's um, not the kind of presents that thirteen year olds mm-hmm. should be giving each other. And and he's just like pushing again. Are you okay? Because it really seemed like you're upset. Yeah, Tobias, I'm more than okay. Gotta go. And he's just like Rachel, go home. Yeah, like he he's advising her. He doesn't tell her either. Like he, I like that it's clearly advised. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she goes to the gardens to get more fiber after flying around a while. Yeah. Oh boy. Do you think if she had opened up to Tobias that he could have helped her make sense of the situation? Probably. Or at least she could have talked it out out loud. Mm-hmm. But um, and here's the thing. This is something that's been relevant to my shitty brain recently. Sometimes we don't want to talk to the people that care about us because we know they'll reassure us, mm-hmm. and that's not always what we want. Or mm-hmm. because we know they care about us, like well, they could be lying to make me feel better because they want me to feel better. Right. That's why we go yep. to therapists because they aren't your friends. They aren't obliged to be there to make you feel better. Because they don't, they aren't invested in you in the same way as your loved ones are. Mm-hmm. Also, when you uh, open up to another person, there's always the fear that they might confirm what you were worried about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or they'll tell you the thing you don't want to hear. Yeah. And either way, I feel like Tobias wouldn't have been able to win if he'd asked her to stay. She would have guilted herself into staying, and if he said she could leave, she would have felt guilty for leaving. Maybe she knew deep down, regardless of if, of telling him that it wouldn't make her feel better. Yeah. And more yeah. than likely, he would have said, well, you know, um, it's your decision to make, and that's not what she wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that both of her parents have told that to her separately, you know, she knows it's her decision. She, I think she wants someone to make the decision for her. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. An interesting discussion would have been what would have happened if she'd asked Jake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he would have offered to have made the decision for her, and he would have let her hate him for it. Yeah. Because that's who Jake is. Yeah. Hi. <sighs> They're kids. Mm-hmm. She goes to the gardens and finds the grizzly bears uh, because she wants power. Um, uh, There were male and female pair. Both were asleep sprawled across the rocks. The male was bigger. That's what I wanted. Big, powerful, fearless. If I was going back to the Yerk pool, I wanted something desperately dangerous. Not just dangerous. Yeah. Desperately dangerous. Yeah. And here you can hear her making the decision to stay, leave, Mm -hmm. move out of town, give up. No way. No way. And my dad, I would still see him when he came to town. That's what jets were for. Um, And she she lands in the bear exhibit and morphs back to human next to the bears. Before we get into that, just Rachel, why? We see this, and this is going to lead into one of my other observations about Rachel, is we see her use other people's words a lot. 
mm-hmm. and echo them in her own sentiments. Yeah. Which I really like and find interesting. Yeah. I, um, I really appreciate this really chilled out bear. Yeah. Like Rachel <laughs> DeBoer, so the bear hears her bones stretching and the faint rustle of feathers melting together to become flesh. She opens an eye, she's like, huh. That's weird. <laughs> I'm like, eh, it's just very good. Yep. That's not but, food and it's not another bear. I don't care. Yeah. He opened an eye and looked at me without understanding or fear. He was well fed. He'd been at the zoo for many years and all but forgotten the worries of living in the wild. I was just something that smelled a little bit like a bird and a little bit like a human. And uh, she reaches out to touch the bear and we have this observation. Like, the bear watches her the whole time. Yeah. And she had this observation. I was nothing to him. I could not hurt him. He could destroy me without bothering even to wake up fully. He was beyond fear, beyond doubt, beyond pain. It must be nice, I whispered to him. Oh, boy. This uh, um, puts me in, in mind of um, those uh, various Celtic and Norse berserkers who allegedly, mm. a- according to Roman recorders, embraced the spirits of various animals. Um, yeah. Yeah. She wants to become the bear. Yep. I touched him and felt his power flow into me, and yet, as I absorbed his DNA and imagined myself becoming this fearless creature, I still could not forget the look in my father's eyes or the quaver in his voice saying, But gee, Rachel, I think it could be okay, you know? I could already feel the emptiness his moving would leave in my life. He could say he'd come back every other week. He could say we'd still see each other just as much. But I knew it wouldn't be that way. I could imagine him packing up to go. I could remember the screams in the York pool. I could remember Tobias trying to joke about college. Too much. Things that were small and personal and things that were huge all swirled together in my head. Nothing made sense. It was too much stuff. Too much fear and guilt and loneliness. Too many decisions. Too much. You know, there are days when I just don't feel brave and fearless. There are days when I just want to go to a ball game with my dad and eat popcorn and tune out everything else that's going on. Be a normal kid. But that wasn't the life I had any. I had. Not anymore. Oof. Mm-hmm. It's fine. This is fine. Fine. But uh, this is where I had the realization the way this thought monologue is written and coupled with some of the other comments that Rachel made and some of her behavior generally gives me powerful ADHD vibes. Mm -hmm. I follow a couple of uh, a guy called Gnome specifically who does a lot of informative tweets about his experiences being ADHD. He's a big animal swab. Actually, I think he listens to the podcast, so shout out to Gnome. <laughs> but a lot of Rachel's impulsivity and things like that, how she doesn't think about stuff till after, how she remembers things after and plays them back and back and back and back. Yeah. Everything being too much. Just it gives me back. And also given how ADHD, especially, it's getting slowly better, but is criminally underdiagnosed in girls. Mm-hmm. Just like Putting that lens on, I'd be. I know we have some um, ADHD folk in Animals Book Club. I'd be intrigued to hear if anyone else has ever had that interpretation of her, 
or if that struck a struck a chord to any of your own experiences. So, yeah, one for discussion when the episode drops. Come yell at me in the server about your feels. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been thinking that Rachel doesn't. She passed <clears throat> for neurotypical well enough in the mm-hmm. context of high school. Mm-hmm. I but that doesn't that doesn't mean she is. Oof. Oof, that hurts. Will, you wound me? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I, I share the wound I bear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we can't, and the thing we didn't mention earlier uh, that we're now about to discover as we floor is uh, the uh, entrance to the Yerk pool they d- uh, Marco and Tobias discovered through a changing room at the Gap. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very good. And I really appreciate this actually that we have Big Arena at the beginning and now we mention the mall. Yeah. Given the stuff we see later in the book, I like that we're touching on a bunch of locations. Mm hmm. So just like underscoring this is what the world the, of Rachel's world is like at this moment. Mm. But uh, so, yeah, they're all arranged to meet at the mall and they act like it's a surprise when they do so uh, meeting in the food court. And the mall, the mall is where they where they met that night. The mall mm-hmm. was in one of the centers of Rachel's life before. And the mall is also this mm-hmm. there is nothing untouched there is no escape yeah yeah it's insidious mm-hmm. it's like racism mm. <laughs> but I, I i like that regardless of what they might try to do it has filtered into every element of their existence mm-hmm. even in ways that maybe they're not superficially conscious of yeah. But, like, their resistant principle is a controller and is a high up one. There's a way down into the Yerk pool in the mall. Mm-hmm. Tom is a controller. Like, Marco's whole fucking situation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's. Yeah. It, it's so early and yet it's bled into every facet. And the fact that these 13-year-olds are acting like knowing how to, like, oh, it's such a surprise running into you. How you been? Because there could be controllers watching them. Yep. So uh, we hear that Jake is looking, uh, and Axe are downplaying video games. Cassie expresses sympathy for Jake because Axe is a little unpredictable when in human morph. Uh, <laughs> tried to eat a cigarette butt out of an ashtray. Yep. It's like, which I appreciate that uh, Rachel's just like, kind of understand can or at least intellectually understand um mm-hmm. why Axe is doing that. So Yeah. And sort of like a new a mm. new sense. Mm-hmm. Um but yes, they uh head to the gap. Um there's the observation as they go about Marco's shift. Yeah. Uh in personality. Or like an attitude, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still can't figure it out. Just people change. Right. Rachel mentions feeling bad for Tobias to not being able to come along and also being jealous that he is the one getting to sit it out. Mm-hmm. Oh no, sorry, Cassie says that. 
that she feels sorry for Tobias. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> I love how they have this moment. They go into the gap. They get find some clothes to try on, and Cassie's just like, "What do I try on?" <laughs> and it's just like, and Cassie cannot shop. She is shop. It's like, oh my god! It's just bless. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I also cannot shop, and I appreciate yeah, Cassie. But I like that Rachel just take this sweater, and she says, "This is dry clean only. I would never wear this." <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? You just mm-hmm. need something to put on. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they uh, head into the dressing room and uh, morph into roaches, and it goes about as well as you might expect when there's two of them in a room with in a tiny changing room with two mirrors. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a delight as ever. We get some fun descriptions of the morphing, uh, as always. Yep, and then one by one, the others kind of filter into the dressing room. And also morph into roaches. Jake is the last one. Uh, he collects all of their clothes and puts them into a bag. And, or I think maybe trashes them even. No, he uh, puts his, their clothes in a coin locker out in the mall. His gotcha. own clothes he's yeah. going to leave, ready to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but the fact that they put that thought into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they all head down into the yerk pool and... It's interesting because like they they follow they wait for someone to come into the dressing room and then they follow that person into the yerk pool and then they just kind of like climb down the many 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 stairs into the yerk pool as roaches which probably takes a lot longer than it would as something larger. Yeah. Um and you know they let the controller pull out ahead of them because they don't want to worry about getting stepped on. Um and it's it's just like are we there yet? No. <laughs> Ask how much time has passed. <laughs> 28 of your minutes have passed since Cassie and Rachel entered Morph. You know, Ax, they're your minutes now, too, Marco said, just trying to make conversation. I mean, we are all here together on good old Earth where we only have one type of minute. <laughs> I appreciate that this is a running joke in it this is. book. And it's it a comes running back joke later. the whole series. Oh my god, perfect. <laughs> But um, Axe has a great response later that I did highlight in our doc because yeah. it's good shit. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it continues to be a thing. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so, plus one, we are now back in the Yerk pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously the roach eyes can't see, but we have like Rachel remembering what it does look like. Mm-hmm. And th- it's as upsetting this time as it was the first time, and we have yep. the we have about the difference between the voluntary hosts and the involuntary hosts. <sighs> uh, like, and I like, I say I like when Rachel mentions that when she has nightmares about the Yerk pool and she has the nightmares a lot, it would always be about the second pier, not where people's the Yerks leave people, but when they go back. The voluntary yep. hosts would kneel and receive the Yerks back into their brains. The involuntaries would struggle. They would fight. Curse. Some would dare the Hawk Bajir to kill them. Yep. So. And the kids are down at the ramp in roach form, racing lower. Uh, all of them are sort of reeling a little from the memory. And Axe hasn't been there before. And she's like, I wish I could see more clearly. I wish I could see what's going on. And Rachel just flatly like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get to the bottom of the ramp and they're like, okay, where do we go? What are we yeah. even going to do? I wish we had bug morphs with better eyes. Um, <laughs> and they suss out to go in the direction of food. Uh, go for the fries. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we head to what I assume is the lunchroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, linoleum under linoleum underfoot. Um. <laughs> oh my god! I like that they confirm that they can smell humans, and Rachel tries to joke about it about humans don't smell. I'm like, oh, human smell, not a bad smell. Sort of like an animal <laughs> we have back on my pineapple to floor. It's just like <laughs> nice. But so we have French fries and humans. Are you telling me we have reached the Yerk Pool McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want but, that uh, meal with extra happy? Mm. Oh. Uh, but um and yeah they trying to figure out like maybe they can get closer to listen in and uh enter taxon yep enter <laughs> a huge shadow comes over them and they're like what the hell is that it smells really weird i don't like it and then uh a red whip comes down because it's the taxon's tongue um it slithers out of the taxon's mouth and like gums up all of them and traps them and uh they're about to be eaten stuck on the frog-like tongue of the taxon um and then shit got real weird and jade stopped reading and it was like what the uh, did i miss something and i had to read a couple of like (laughs) no this is what's happening okay john mulaney voice this might as well happen (laughs) yep uh, because everything everywhere just stops. The kids demorph. Yep. And the world is frozen around them. Yeah. Axe they demorph backing. without meaning to. Yeah. Um But yeah, they, they all demorph and nothing nothing at all is moving. Nothing is doing anything. It's as if time has stopped um completely. Uh they, mm-hmm. The steam rising from mugs of coffee, coffee were frozen and still as a photograph. Um, and and they they exit the uh, the cafeteria that they're in um, into the openness of the cavern, and everything out there is also frozen weirdly, except for one boy. Who's that? Oh, it's Tobias. As a human, suddenly here in the Urk pool. Um, and my heart hurts. This whole little exchange where he's almost doubting that it's him. It is mm-hmm. me. He sounded like he doubted it. My old body here. Rachel runs to him. I don't really know why I just did. I wanted to touch him to know he was real. He yelled. He jumped back and suddenly threw his arms up and down. He was flapping, trying to get away, trying to fly. I had scared him by rushing at him. And he is so embarrassed and just like whispers apologies and, and she just hugs him. And, it, and it's just like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. The yep. fact that he's been a hawk long enough that his instinct is to fly to get away. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't quite know what to do with his own body. Just like, ah, hello dysphoria, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, the way it's written, it's just, it hurts to read that. Yeah. It's, oh, God. Yep. Yep. Uh. And Axe says time has stopped for everyone except for them. Um, he says it's not Yerk technology and it's not Andalite technology. It's 
beyond Andalite technology. <laughs> Sorry, because then we get to what humility from an Andalite, which it's is all in capitals, a bold, it's great. This is yep. the best introduction. Shitting on Andalites, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Uh, Marco understandably screams because this voice is coming from everywhere and from nowhere. I like how yep. he said it. It's not a voice, not really. It wasn't even thought speak. It was like an idea that simply popped into your head. The words exploded like bursting balloons inside your own thoughts. And she spins around looking for the source, ready to fight if necessary. And voice just goes, no, Rachel, there is no threat. And it's just like, knew exactly what she was doing and knows who she is. Which, like... It doesn't actually need to be able to read her mind as long as it's been spying on her for a couple weeks. But yeah. either way, terrifying. Yeah. Uh, nobody, however, is more scared than Axe. Yeah. Uh, he's gone rigid. He's shaking. And the, uh, the voice drops his full name. He goes, has begun to guess what I am. And we hear this word, Elmist. Uh, for the first time, and do not be afraid. I will appear in a physical form you can understand. This fucking drama queen. I fucking hate him. Just he's manifest. Like, he's like Q. <laughs> a, but... Yeah, a door opens in nothing. Uh, the air opened and he appeared. And to be fair, this is a solid look. Humanoid, two arms, two legs, a head where a human head would be. His skin was glowing blue as if he were a light bulb that had been painted over so that light still shone from him. Misread it the first time, thought it said his head was shaped like a light bulb, thought we were dealing with Megamind. <laughs> <You weren't lying. laughs> Megamind is nicer. Uh, Megamind is much, we like Megamind, but he seemed like an old man, but with a force of energy that was definitely not frail. His hair was long and white, his ears were swept up into points, his eyes were black holes that seemed to be full of stars. I am an Elemist, he said, speaking with an actual voice, as your Andalite friend guessed. And Axe is still proverbially shitting himself, looking, proverbially, mm. not literally, um, looking not like sure Michael Down and the capable of mm. that literally anyway <laughs> anyway <laughs> let's not get into like biology right now <laughs> not, not today um the elements like look at your human friends they don't scare me and acts like they don't know what you are and the elements being this smug bastard who i really don't like just like neither do you all you know are the fairy stories your people tell to children and rachel's yeah. just like how about if someone tells us who and what you are just like, yes, Rachel. Like, I was not in the best mood ever. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. And then they're surrounded by these frozen things. And then we have some underscoring of who Rachel is as a person. To be honest, I was scared. And when I'm scared, I get mad. The Elemist is like, you cannot begin to understand what I am. Axe is like, they're all powerful. They can cross a million light years in a single instant. They can make entire worlds disappear. They can stop time itself. Axe speaks of them as if they are a race. Um, the Elemist doesn't really do anything to disabuse him of this notion. Uh, future knowledge will tell you that he is just one person. Um, Marco's like, well, this one doesn't look all that powerful. And Axe is like, that's not his body. That's just a manifestation. He's everywhere at once, inside your head, inside this planet, inside the fabric of space and time. Um, we have, um, 
we have this where Jake's just like, why are you here? Why all of this? Why bring Tobias? Like asking those questions. And Marco is just like, you saw through our morphs. You know who we were. You even know our names. You must. You brought us all here together. Why? And I like that Marco is asking those questions. Mm -hmm. He's putting the pieces together. Yep. And the LMS being a dramatic fucking bitch is like, because you must decide. And Rachel's like, decide what? And he's like, the fate of your race. The fate of the human race. And Marco's like, oh, that's it? Don't you have something more challenging? It's not like we're already fighting a war or anything. And then the Elemist fucking lays out this big fucking whopper. We do not interfere in the private affairs of other beings, but when they are in danger of becoming extinct, we step in to save a few members. We love life, all life, but especially sentient life forms like Homo sapiens, your species. This is a very beautiful planet, a priceless work of art. And like Marco jokes, like this isn't really very, um, you haven't seen our school, like this isn't a work of art. And the Elemist shows them Earth. But like <laughs> Jen mentioned in the, in the Discord and god if she isn't right like the elemis doesn't interfere in things in the same way that the doctor from doctor who doesn't interfere in things or like how the star trek enterprise doesn't <laughs> interfere in things like <laughs> it's some bullshit is what i'm saying this is a technicality um, kind of i'm like i didn't do anything yeah. to them yeah i'm not touching you <laughs> But um, Elemist um, goes on David Attenborough style and just like, the ocean, it's lovely. And then yeah. goes to the savannah, it's beautiful. Showing <laughs> all of, like, just doing a whistle-stop <laughs> tour of some pretty things. The underwater, the, like, the savannah, the jungle. Yeah. And like Elemist is just talking about like, in all the universe, no greater beauty in a thousand, thousand worlds, no greater art than this. And I hate this guy. I hate him so much. And that I do appreciate that goes on to show the human race, like, and we see different things, uh, yeah. villages in like the jungle, a rock concert Rio de Janeiro, a political meeting in Seoul, a soccer game in Durban, an, an open air market in the Philippines, and then humans, crude, primitive, but capable of understanding. Just like, you prick. I hate yep. you. And then he shows them art. Just yeah. like, yeah, but you can understand shit. Let's hope for you kids. Mm -hmm. Like, ugh. And he brings them back to the frozen yerk pool. And Rachel's just having a time. Valid. Uh, but is like, that was a nice tour. What's it about? Mm -hmm. And the Elemist lays it out. That the yurks are more advanced than the humans. They're going to continue to invest them. The Andalites will try to stop, but they'll fail. And the yurks will win. And soon the only humans left on Earth will be human controllers. And it's like he had, I had stopped breathing. The way he said it, it was like you couldn't argue, like you couldn't say anything. He spoke every word with utter and complete certainty. He wasn't guessing, he knew. He knew that we would lose. I hate this motherfucker. Yeah. I hate him so also, much. Also, as as we find out what this as this goes on, just like he's saying what he needs to say to get a reaction out of them. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's a manipulative fuck. Them. Yeah. Absolutely. Which yeah. is very, very Time Lord also. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he's he's absolutely 1000% just manipulating them into doing what he wants them to do. Because as we learn later, the Elemist is 
basically playing a giant game of chess with Krayak. Who is um, somehow even more of a dick. Like Who is somehow even more of a dick. You you think the Elemist is a dick. Wait until you see Krayak. Well, there are different kinds of dicks, really. Like, Krayak is Sauron and very out and about about destroying everything. Like, that's what he wants to do. Everybody knows it. Whereas the Elemist, Elemist is just he's better than that. Yeah, the Elemist is just a fucking prick. Um, oh, here's a fun thought. <clears throat> I wonder if, like, as this goes on, Jake looks at the Elemist and goes, ah, a professional. No, notes. <laughs> Ooh. Mm, hate that. Mm, you're um, welcome. <laughs> it, it's Animorphs. We're here to be pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but we learned that the Elemist and Krayak are basically playing a giant chess game, and the Yerks and the Animorphs are chess pieces. Like, Ugh. and that's that's kind of like the Elemist pretends like he, he has this fondness for them and for Earth and whatever. But at the end of the game, it's all it's all the chess game, and these people are just pieces. And he will do whatever it takes in order to manipulate them into seeing what needs to be done because he's supposed to be hands off per the rules of the game, but. You know, if if he can just lead them to making the right decisions, then he like he didn't interfere. They just changed what they were doing. And as this book goes on, we see Rachel will come to this conclusion later. Just like he doesn't say it's like he doesn't say the thing he shows. It's like show don't tell. He puts yeah. everything there. Out there. Mm hmm. Um, but we don't know that yet. Right now, he's offering to basically make a human zoo. Yep. Uh, which is Tobias susses it out. Yep. Marco makes the comparison to uh, Noah's Ark first, and Tobias is the one. I just love the visual of like human Tobias just like staring at the other list, but like with that sort of intensity of the mm -hmm. hawk and yep. just like, just like calling him out. And it's just like, we do not impose our will on sentient species. The decision is yours. And just like, Egh. Yes. And I've told you that is... you're not going to live, but the decision is yours. And this bitch is just like, you got to choose now. Yeah. When Jake asks how long they've got to choose, and they're all just like, what the fuck? Do we got to go back to being in the taxon's mouth to be a roach? And it's just like, everything as it was. Our purpose is not to interfere. Um, we get this little gem. I looked at Tobias. His face showed nothing. Maybe he had forgotten how to show emotion. Autistic Tobias. Very convincing head mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Ellis was just like, yeah, everything as it was. Tobias will just be back outside, stuck mm -hmm. as a hawk, all alone, as his friends are devoured by a taxon and he'll never know. Yeah. Like, and, okay. And, and Jake. And Jake calls him on this. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. You can't just tell us we have to make a decision like this. We're not the ones who should be deciding. And I like that he observes. And I said, but I also, there's the caveat. I mean, maybe you're trying to do the right thing for us, but this is nuts. And Axe yeah. is the one who's like, Elemis are not interested in what is fair. They give you a choice that is no choice. Then they can claim they do not interfere. They will pretend it was a human decision. Honestly, Axe, I think, has... You know, for all that, all he's got are, are the stories that his people tell each other. Like, I think he's got the best finger on it, frankly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's also, seen I suppose he has some the, bullshit. In this, 
Yeah. Also, in the moment, he has the advantage of being the only non-human there and mm -hmm. seeing what the Elemist is doing from an outsider perspective. Yeah. And just yeah, like... They would I think fucking leave Axe there, too. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, um, and we have a Rachel observe that it's hard to argue with Axe and how the Elemist have totally rigged it. And the fact that he rigs it is making Rachel want to fight it, <laughs> which just like, I love her. Yep. Oppositional defiance disorder also. <clears throat> but it's great. But she also observes like, again, like she did before with the offer of being with her dad. And now it's just like the option of a place with peace where the fighting would be over, where we could be normal kids, no more decisions, no more battles. And the Elemist had said we would be with some of the people we were close to. She does ask the question of who would be saved. And then Tobias mm -hmm. is just like, I vote no, you're using me, you're using my friend's affection for me as a tool and I'm not going for it. Mm -hmm. Just like instantly. And I'm just like, that's my hawk. That's my hawk. <laughs> yeah. I love that kid. And Cassie's just like, come on, can you think? Think about it a little. Because obviously, and here's that great example of when Cassie is given time to think. Yep. Uh. And Jake is also just like, you've got a lot to lose. Uh, if we say no, you're right back in your whole body. But also like Marco just coming in, just like, and this is great. So yeah. we have two votes no, Tobias and Rachel, one vote yes from Cassie, Marco said. But I hadn't voted. Marco had just assumed. And he was right. I realized with a sick churning in my stomach, Marco was right about me. I had to vote no. If Tobias was ready to stay in the fight with all he had to lose, I couldn't do less. Mm -hmm. oh. Yep. <gasps> Kiddo. Yep. That's some uh that's some Kel feels in there for me, let me tell you. <laughs> uh yeah. And and Rachel's like, well, this dude wants us to run away. He wants us to abandon our people and our planet just to save ourselves and the people we care about personally. And Tobias looks at her clearly approving. Um, Axe is like, uh, I'm just going to follow Prince Jake because I can't make this decision because I'm an Andalite. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't trust the Elemist. Mm -hmm. And then Cassie gives, um, the, the argument, uh, that if we die, then what chance do humans have against the Yerks? And anyway, he says that humans will lose. Isn't it better to save some rather than losing anyone? And she makes the, um... She makes the comparison to the sick animals that she takes care of, how uh, her patients are always afraid of her and resisting her and fighting her, even though, you know, she only wants to help them. Um, and she says, well, are we just doing that where, you know, this environmentalist is trying to help us for our own good, but we're resisting because we, we can't understand. Um, Meanwhile, Rachel realizes that Jake and Marco haven't voted because they have noticed a drop shaft, mm -hmm. uh, like on the uh, pool ship, uh, with a control human controller using it. Um, and uh, and uh, I love how you have this like quiet moment of uh, Jake and Rachel like sharing a moment, and Rachel's mm -hmm. the one that figures out, or we have it from Rachel's perspective that she figures out that the uh, the woman is moving up the drop shaft because of the way her hair is loose mm -hmm. down around her neck and marco's like nah but uh i do like the way he says this it's just like 
Mr. Elemist, thank you for your offer, but I don't think so. I don't think I want to be in your zoo, and I don't like being muscled like this. I'm glad you like Earth, but we'll take care of it the best way we can. Mm -hmm. And then, as as Danya said, we have the uh, Cassie talk, making the comparison with to environmentalists and what she does, and that's enough to make Rachel doubt mm -hmm. about if she should change her vote. What would they say? If, what would her family say if they could vote? How her mum mm -hmm. would never risk the life of her children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, then maybe her dad could be there. But then there was the, the then she has this fucking crushing moment of I'd have to explain that I'd voted to save just them and give up the fight and what her dad would think of her for making that choice. Mm -hmm. Again, caught between her mom and her dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we have Jake being just like, I don't think you can see the future. Uh, otherwise, why would you bother being here talking to us? Yeah. Why would you make us vote? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they vote. Cassie goes with the group. Uh, Jake takes a hand. It's cute. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they're back in their roach bodies as the other one says, if you live, I will ask once more. If you live. And it's just like... Yep. You're the fucking worst. Yep. And then we have uh, an action scene because they're back on the taxon tongue and they're being swallowed. Um, Jake tells them all to morph out. They start demorphing inside of the taxon. Uh, it explodes the taxon because their bodies are just bags Again, of goo. Way it's also Axe's tail. Also as Axe's he gets, tail. He slices open. Yeah. Um, I firmly believe that they would have exploded it anyway. Oh um, yeah, to make it a, ha <laughs> a hair I think that's gross. I guess. <laughs> I think I think the tail uh, makes it faster because they all don't have air. Um, mm. They explode out of the taxon, covered in taxon guts. Um, they're still demorphing. They start running, um, and humans. Uh, a human yells to get them. Um, they're so people run after them um and they start heading towards the drop drop shaft jake tells everyone to morph so they start morphing rachel begins to morph uh the bear um the first time she has morphed it the first the first time she's morphed the bear ever she's never had a chance to practice it uh she knows it's foolish she knows she should morph the elephant or a wolf um she could handle either of them the elephant won't fit in the drop shaft um, the wolf could, but she wants the power. Um, she's uh, afraid, and that makes her angry. Yep. Uh, something hits her. She goes sprawling across the dirt. A man stood over me, a grown man. He had slammed into me. For some reason, this outraged me. What kind of creep would hit a girl half his size? Um, and the answer is because he's a controller. Uh, and then uh, they uh, Axe saves her. Uh, using his tail to cut off the dude's arm. Um, and she realizes that she and Axe are cut off from the rest who have reached the drop shaft um, because there's a small army of human and hork controllers in the way. Um, uh, Marco and Cassie leave. Only Jake is still standing there. He's looking back at them with horror. And all through this, the only thing I can think about is you're all humans right now. Mm -hmm. They can all see that you're humans. Right now. Mm -hmm. um, and Rachel screams to Jake to get out of there. 
um, that they'll be okay. Uh, Jake does not. He begins to morph Tiger. Um, mm-hmm. And Rachel, as as Axe kind of guards Rachel from the approaching cork uh Rachel finishes morphing Bear. Uh, then I realized I was no longer afraid. A deep confidence had welled up inside of me. Utter confidence. Utter fearlessness. I realized I was no longer standing erect. I was on all fours. When I looked down, I expected to see my two hands splayed on the dirt. Instead, I saw massive paws. Coarse, dark brown fur. Black claws, each like the point of a pickaxe. I had become the bear. It was his confidence I felt. It was his total lack of fear. It was I was an animal that had never, in a thousand generations of grizzly bears, known an instant of real fear. Um, and she attacks, um, the bear okay. mate. <laughs> yeah, and she goes bear. And yeah, she goes bear. <laughs> yeah, and we talk about that, like, she gets hit a couple of times by a hawk, which she doesn't care. Yeah, she shrugs it off. Yep. Um, she's I been love- challenged, and the bear has yeah. been challenged, and the bear is not gonna have it. I like that we have this underscore of the, the bear's eyes aren't great, but she can smell the hawk and just fucking yep. throwing stuff around. We get this like feeling like a truck doing 70 miles an hour, the largest carnivore on land. Yep. And just like um, the hawk went flying, um, more came, more discovered why part of the Latin name for the grizzly species is horribilis. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yup. Yeah. And then, then we have, mm-hmm, go on, Mel. Uh, is this one of the reasons you put that rule in uh, Idiot Teenagers with a Death Witch wish? That which one? Um, the first time you morph something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't this isn't the only time that this happens, um, because there are several other times when they lose themselves to the morph, but this is definitely mm-hmm. on my mind. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty yeah. darn memorable. Yeah. I barely remember what happened next. I gave myself up to the bear's rage. Its anger and my own became one. All the tension within me, all the uncertainty, all the doubts were swept away as I gave myself up to the bear's violence. I remember that at some point Jake got into his tiger morph and joined the fight, and I have flashing images from my memory of terrible destruction, of ripping claws and crushing jaws. But the next thing I clearly remember is flying up the long drop shaft while Jake's voice in my head kept saying, Rachel, morph out, morph out, you're out of control, you are out of control, morph. I was clawing wildly at the air, trying to kill the tiger that was suspended above me in the drop shaft, trying to kill Jake. I felt as if I had snapped awake from a dream. Slowly as we rose toward the surface, I left the bear and returned to myself. (laughs) 